turn over to Revelation chapter 6. Um, we're going to be in here for a while. Well, not, not a whole long while. We have, uh, I'm, I'm, David has had some prophetic issues. We've talked about some other things I want to get into. Um, the book of Revelation. Um, this is not. Let me let me uh, let me just start by saying this. Um, the book of Revelation is not a revealing of end time events. It is the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of Christ uh, and His plan. So we're going to be in uh, chapter six tonight. We're not going to look at chapter seven. Uh, that's the 144,000 witnesses. We'll talk about them just by themselves. And then uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, is the seventh seal that we'll talk about just for a moment. Um, some of the guys looked at me with astonishment tonight and said, you mean you're going to do all seven tonight? And the fact of the matter is yes. Uh, some very general thoughts. Um, because you can get really bogged down if you're not careful. Uh, and, and very honestly, if, if prophecy is something that just doesn't float your boat, then it can get overwhelming and, and, and just go on and on and on and on. Uh, fact of the matter is, uh, the Bible gives us what we need. It doesn't give us everything that we want to know. Uh, but I do think that... Um, We'll see as we go through the book of Revelation. Uh, it has quite a connection with, um, with, with the Old Testament particularly, and the Jews especially. So uh, let's just look at it for a minute, and here's the question. I sat down and was writing out some things and trying to gather my thoughts. And the first thing that came to my mind is... Why should we even be worried about this? Why should we be teaching this? If we're pre-tribulation, then we're not going to be here anyway. So, so what's the big deal? And I think that's probably a pretty good question uh, that a lot of people have. Why, why are we doing that? Why are we teaching about the tribulation? Uh, so I wrote down three things. Uh, they don't, they're just very general things. Um, but I think one of the reasons is, is that it teaches us the seriousness of sin. One of the things that you'll find as you begin to go through God dealing with sin, God revealing sin, God dealing with sin, God pouring out His wrath on sin. Um, so it teaches us about the seriousness of sin. Number two, it, motiva- it ought to motivate us to share the gospel. Uh, because here is a condition that uh, men and women will be in uh, for a period of seven years that will be totally horrible. And yet, um, they don't have to be there. Um, God um, has given us the gospel, and we, He's given it to us to share. So it ought to motivate us to share the gospel, especially with people that we know. And the third thing is, is that it is extremely important to God. 26.6% of all Scripture is prophetic. Um, there's more teaching in the Bible about the tribulation than the millennial uh, reign of Christ, um, more teaching than a thousand-year reign on the tribulation. Uh, there's more about the tribulation uh, than there is about heaven and hell in all the Bible. There are only there are basically only two subjects that are mentioned or talked about more um, than this period, and those are passages that are related to our salvation and passages that are related to the second coming of Christ. Other than that, uh, it, it's probably the third most mentioned talked about, alluded to event in all the Bible. Now, what I want to do tonight is, is I, want to, I want to connect you with the Old Testament. So I want you to turn with me over to Daniel chapter 9. Probably the, the most significant Old Testament passage that's related to the tribulation is found in Daniel chapter 9. And we were actually talking about this a while ago. The, the prophecies of the book of Daniel are so exact and so spot on that people who just don't believe the Bible uh, don't believe that Daniel was written when it says that it was written because it is too accurate. There's no way that hundreds of years before, thousand years before, 
that Daniel could have seen all this stuff before happening to come out exactly like it was supposed to. But um, if you look in the book of Daniel, and, and, and we're just going to look at this for, for just, a, just a little bit because it is so significant about the tribulation period. Uh, Daniel was, he said, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my supplication before the Lord my God uh, for the holy mountain of my God, indeed while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the beginning, um, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation or, or the evening sacrifice, the evening time of prayer. Okay, so during this time he's praying, the angel Gabriel comes and he touches him. And he says to him, at the beginning uh, of your uh, supplications, when, when, you, when you began your prayers, God sent me, and then we're backing back up, to, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, verse 22. He informed me and he talked to me and he said, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. When you began to pray, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, uh, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Now, what Daniel has seen over and over and over again is this statue and all of these um, uh, different uh, pictures uh, that, that are prophetic about the coming of the end times. Okay, We, we could go back. It really starts... Um, I guess a chapter or two before, first six chapters of the book of Daniel are all narrative. They're, they're Daniel's story. Uh, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, Nebuchadnezzar, the building of the uh, great big statue, the, the burning fiery furnace, all of that. And yet, when it starts the seventh chapter, it begins this, this it becomes this prophetic writing, this prophetic literature that, that we have. So, so Daniel has seen all these things. If you were to read it, you, you become to understand that Daniel has become extremely, extremely troubled at what he's seeing. He don't understand what he's seeing. I, I don't know who would. All of a sudden, there's this statue. It's got a head of gold. It's silver from here up. Its, it's uh, legs are brass. Its feet are clay and iron. And you know, what is all of that? And so the angel Gabriel comes to him. And he says to him, I'm, I'm here to help you understand uh, the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks. Now, if you would, if you're making notations there, it's really 70 times seven weeks. Heptads is, just, is, is, the, is the Hebrew word that's used to describe. It's really, it's not weeks, it's weeks of years, Okay. Is really the understanding there. It, 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 it's this idea of, of weeks of years. So, so 70 weeks is 490 years, okay? Just, just trust me on that one. You can, you can figure all that a little bit later. So um, he prophesies about 70 weeks. Now, one prophetic week in the Bible is seven years, okay? One prophetic week is seven years. So you have... 70 weeks here, so you have 70 weeks of years, so you have a period of 490 years, okay? Um, this, this prophecy that he gives him says this. Now, I want you to notice this because this comes extremely, extremely important here when it speaks of the end time, especially the tribulation period. 70 weeks have been determined for your people. Who, who were Daniel's people? The Jews, okay, the Jews, and to make, uh, uh, and to your holy city. So what is, what is the Jews' holy city? What was Daniel's holy city? Jerusalem, okay? So, so now, all of a sudden, we have a key out of the book of Daniel that in the end times, that there's going to be a great emphasis on the Jewish people and also on the city of Jerusalem. Now, there is about six things here that God is doing during this time. He's going to finish transgressions and make an end to sins. Okay, that's number one. Number two, He's going to make atonement for iniquity. Okay? 
Number three, he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. Four, he's going to seal up visions and prophecies. He's going to anoint the most holy place. And so these are the things that that Daniel's been dealing with. These are the things that uh, that Gabriel has come to talk about these end times. So so let's look at this just for a minute. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. You remember when that was? You better remember when that was because we went through a whole study in the book of Nehemiah. King Artaxerxes in 445 B.C. gave the command to restore and rebuild specifically the walls of Jerusalem. Okay? Now, now I want to show you something, if you would, just if, if, if you want to, just for a minute, just look right over in the front of Psalm just for a minute and look at the book of Nehemiah. I'm going to flip through here and try to find it right. Job, uh, Nehemiah's in there. Uh, but, but I want to show you something because in Nehemiah chapter 1, now look at this. Right at the very beginning, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, it's extremely specific language It says, here's when Nehemiah got this desire to go back and rebuild. He tells the year, he tells what year it is, the month, he tells what year it is of the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes, so that we can trace back to 445 B.C. when the decree went forth for him to go back and restore and rebuild the walls. If if there's not an answer somewhere in Scripture, you can probably go find it somewhere else. But I want want to show you something here because it, it becomes very interesting here. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Prince Messiah shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's just a way of saying 483 years. Okay, 483 years. Now, we could trace it from the Jewish calendar of 360-day years. I've In my notes at home, I've got all the days, how many days it was or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, he says in verse 26, after the 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off. And shall have nothing. To the exact day. To the exact day. 483 years. From the time. That the decree went forth to, be, to, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. To the day when Jesus rode down the slopes of the Mount of Olives. And presented himself as the Jewish Messiah. And at that day they decided to. They were done with him. 483 years to the day Messiah Messiah was cut off. Pretty exact, isn't it? Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. 69 weeks or 483 years. It shall be built again the temple, okay, one of, the, one of the signs of the second coming of Christ is that the temple will have to be rebuilt. As a matter of fact, did you see Jan McCarl, uh, uh, what's her name, Mar- Markles, Jen Markles, Markels, what I call her, D- did you see her post last night? They had a 3D picture of the third temple. They were showing. So um, plans are already being made for rebuilding that third temple. All of the, um, uh, the instruments and the things that they need, even down to the breeding of the animals that they need for sacrifice, is happening right now in the nation of Israel. Uh, but he says that it will, it must be, it will be rebuilt. The, the, 
the temple will be built, it will have a plaza, a moat, even in times of trouble. Obviously. After the 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off and shall have nothing. And the troops of the prince who shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall come with a flood. And until the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall make, he, being the Antichrist here, shall make a firm covenant with many, which are the Jews, for one week, for seven years. One prophetic week for seven years. Now, here, now, now here's the whole thing, okay? Here's the whole thing. In Jewish thought, in Old Testament thought, if they could have understood this at all, they would have counted off 490 years and they would have been sorely disappointed because at the end of that 490 years, a second coming wouldn't have taken place. They knew nothing about the church age. They knew nothing about what God had put in his heart, this secret that God had in his heart, not only to raise up a nation of Jews, but also a nation of Gentiles to share in his coming kingdom. Okay? It's interesting, though, also that when we look at these 69 weeks, that they are separate from the last week. It's important that we know that. Up here is 69 weeks. Down here, there's another week added in. So, so there's a space in between those two. So the decree goes forth to rebuild this wall. Now look in verse 27 with me. And he shall make a firm covenant with many for one week. It's talking about the tribulation period now. And the tribulation period is basically... Uh, divided into two periods. Now, I'm just going to give you these numbers. You'll run across them in some of your reading and prophecy. Don't mean anything. The fact of the matter is, it, 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 it splits right down the middle. 1,260 days, 42 months, or three and a half years. You, you will always see it characterized, especially in the New Testament, as time times two, time one times Two, three, half time and a half, okay? So three and a half years. So you'll have three and a half years, which is usually designated as the tribulation, okay? The first three and a half years, the first 42 months, the first 1,260 days. There will be peace. There will be a treaty that will be made with the Jewish people, with Israel in particular, and at the end of that, but in the, look at this, but in the middle of the week, at the three and a half year mark, he shall cause the sacrifice of the offering to cease. So obviously, in the, in the right before Christ returns, during the tribulation time, the temple will be rebuilt. They will be sacrificing again. They will be in all their glory. They think, boy, the glory days are back. The fact of the matter is, they're going to be allowed to do that. And at the three-and-a-half-year mark, boom, he's going to cut it off. It's what Jesus calls the great tribulation. Okay, Jesus himself called this the great tribulation. So the first three-and-a-half years, tribulation. Second three-and-a-half years, the great tribulation, the great. Okay? Now, when will Jesus come then? Okay? Now, since we're flipping, turn over to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, and look at verses 29 and 30, and I'll just give you a recap here. Immediately, the Bible says, after the tribulation, okay? Wow, there it is. So when's the Lord going to return? Immediately after the tribulation. Then, there's a little bit more in between, but then, he says, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. So at the end of the tribulation period, the sign of the Son of Man shall appear in heaven. Okay? Now, we're just going to slip out of Daniel for a minute, okay? Daniel has prophesied this, this time that we're talking about Revelation. So what is the purpose of the revelation? 
um, The tribulation. What is the purpose of the tribulation? It's this. Number one, during the tribulation, the wrath of God will be poured out. Okay? God's righteous anger because of sin. Number two, you'll see as we begin to go through that the fury of Satan will be let loose. When, when, when the Holy Spirit, now look, the Holy Spirit is going to be removed. He's going to remove his restraint. He's not going to be removed, okay? If God is everywhere, then the Holy Spirit's everywhere. Then, but the fact of the matter is he's not going to be involved in holding all these things back. We'll see a little bit later in the book of Revelation where he's told, hey, hold those four winds back, hold this, you know, because this has got to happen first. And then, uh, something else that it will do is it will show the, sinful na- the real sinful nature of man. Okay? So, three things specifically that the wrath of God will be poured out, the fury of Satan will be let loose, and it will show the evil nature of man. But why? Why was it going to do that? Okay? Give you four things real quick. Number one, to bring history to its right conclusion. Okay, number two, to fulfill the prophecies about Israel. The, 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 the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecies of Israel happened during the tribulation. The culmination of it will happen during the millennial, during the millennial reign. We'll, we'll see some of that as we go along. Uh, another reason is to shake mankind from his false sense of security. And number four, to force men to choose between Jesus or Satan. Okay, they'll have a choice. Now, let's look at the seals, okay? We're going to go through them like this, some very general things. I'll be glad to sit down and talk to any of you if you have questions. Don't get confused here. But the fact of the matter is, is that chapter 6 is the beginning now of God pouring out His wrath on this earth and on mankind. What we see here. And what what are called the sealed judgments, okay? Um, uh, He says in verse 1, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Now, what are we talking about here? We're talking about what we have seen over in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation when John, you remember, is having this vision and there is this scroll and nobody can open it. And, and you know what happens. Jesus comes, the Lamb comes, and He takes the scroll. You're worthy to open the scroll, okay? So, so look, it, it, it is what a lot of people believe, the title deed to the earth, the title deed to the universe, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ is the only one worthy to do this. You remember, He even said of Himself, the Father has given me all judgment, okay? So even the Father says, okay, you know what, look... Judge him. So he takes this. He takes this scroll, and it, it, it's really it's rolled up, and in a day in which um, these people would have understood, they, there would be a message, and then there would be a drop of wax, and then the signet ring would go on. It would seal it, and then there would be another and seal it, be another and seal it. So, so there are basically seven seals here that have to be broken. They are chronological. We'll look at the, it'll go like this. It will go seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Um, in, in an order that gets worse and worse and worse. So you think these are going to be bad? Just wait, it gets worse. There's no good news at this point until the sign of the coming of Jesus. Okay, they're chronological. This happens about the first quarter of the tribulation period. What one writer says, about 21 months. And so he opens this seal. Then I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. Those four, you, you can read all that you know, from chapter 4 and chapter 5. And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Now, who is the rider on the white horse? If you ask the average person, the average 
person, the average churchgoer, they would say, oh, that's Jesus. Because Jesus is going to return on a white horse. Well, he is. Uh, but, the, but the fact of the matter is, is there are there's some indication here that this is not Jesus. These are the keys I want to give you that, that this is not Christ, okay? So look at it with me. There was before me a white horse. He who sat on him had a bow. The rider on the white horse in Revelation 19 has a sword. Okay, first clue. A crown was given to him. He said, well, the rider on the white horse in Revelation 19 has a crown. Here's where your language comes in. This rider has on a Stephanos, which is a conqueror's crown. The crown that you see Jesus wearing is the diadem, the king, the, 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 the crown of royalty. Okay, second clue. So it can't be Jesus because it's not a diadem. can't be Jesus because this guy's got a bow and, um, and not a sword. And he goes forth conquering that he might overcome. Now, now, now here's something very interesting to look at if you're not careful. How, what good is a bow without arrows? You see any arrows mentioned there? Another key. He is not going to be, in the beginning, a man of war. Antichrist, in the beginning, when he makes all these peace treaties, is going to conquer the world by diplomacy and the promise of peace. Okay? All of a sudden, the world's just in turmoil. What do we want today? We want peace, don't we? There's going to come one that is symbolized here, someone riding on a white horse with a bow, with a Stephanos on his head, with no arrows, and it carries with the idea that he, it says he, is, he, is, he goes forth conquering that he might overcome. The fact of the matter, he's going to conquer with diplomacy. The Antichrist, this man uh, who is coming onto the scene to, to bring peace to the whole world, is not going to do that by stepping on the neck of people and submitting them into submission. So he starts by conquering the world with diplomacy, no arrows. This, this is the Antichrist here, okay? So the Antichrist is coming. Anti, in this case, does not mean against. It means instead of or in place of. And there's something very interesting that happens toward the end, Okay. First seal, I told you, we're going to get through that pretty easy. Second seal. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come and see. Then another horse that was red went forth. Red being um, a, 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 a clue here. Um, he is... Given power, you see, he's given power. Folks, listen. Jesus is in control of this whole thing. The world is going to be out of control. Everything's going to be out of control. But I'm going to, Jesus is in control. Jesus is in charge here, okay? Power was given to him who sat on it to take peace from the earth, causing people to kill one another. Then, here it is, then a great sword was given him. So you have this second seal, this red horse. Power is given to him. Very important there. This is going to be one who is going to come, and he is going to conquer through military conquest. Global war, global death, global shedding of blood. I think 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3 relates to these first two seals. Here's what it says. When they say peace and safety, then swift destruction will come upon them. See, see how the Bible just, tie, it just ties everything together here? And he says, they shall not escape. Okay? So you have this one who comes with diplomacy. In the second half of the tribulation period, there will be things even worse than this. But even while all this is going on, 
He says that there will be there will be wars, there will be killing, there will be bloodshed. And then the third horse, verses five and six, is a black horse. And I think it's kind of interesting here because look at what he says. When he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come. I looked, and there was a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So, Gary, what's all of that? Well, the black horse is symbolical of famine and depletion. Typically, after wars, there, there do come times of, of famine. Um, it's kind of interesting as you begin to go through here that the purchasing power uh, that man will have will be reduced to almost a prohibitive um, level. A, a, a quart of barley, staple food, by the way, uh, those of you who um, will understand this, those of you who um, were like Lee and I when we first got married, uh, Raymond noodles was a meal three times a day sometimes. So there's going to come a day when Raymond noodles are going to cost you a day's wages. Think about it for a minute. A day's wages for just the staples. Just for the bread. So there'll be, there'll be a great time of famine. Now, I think there's something kind of interesting here because if we don't touch the oil and the wine. The oil and the wine are symbolic of the luxurious food of the rich. They're not to be touched. Now, I'm going to say something here, and I guess it'll be political. I don't know. don't really matter. Um. By the time you get over being mad at me, I'll probably be dead and gone anyway. So, But, but listen to me very carefully. Th- there are precursors in our world today even of this. Okay? I, 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 I get it. Everybody wants something for free. Okay? Everybody wants everything for free. All the free stuff that's being promised to you are going to be financed on the back of the working men and women. Don't hurt the oil and the wine. You see that? Don't hurt the oil and the wine. Even to the extent, and I'll probably get, you know, I could probably get thrown in jail for this someday, but our Social Security, our retirement, the things that we rely on, Did you know our government officials aren't under the same resources that that we have to live on? They kind of have their own little thing over here going. How is it possible that a person could become a multimillionaire on a $75,000 a year salary? Just look, you say, well, that, that will never happen. Well, look, it's right under our noses. And there are a whole lot more people that are pursuing that than you would think. Now, you think about this for a minute. When that happens, when the rich just want power and want to, want to get more money, and, and your, your taxes, and I was looking at, at a statistic in, in some places today. I can't remember. Uh, there are four or five countries that I looked at. The, 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 the average income tax is um, over 40%. Gasoline, including the gasoline tax in these places, is over $6 a gallon. How many of you can afford $6 a gallon? You know, running up. The fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, there's going to come a time when there's going to be a depletion of, of, of food. That, and not necessarily the depletion of the food as much as the ability to buy what you need to take care of your family. Now, there's something sinister behind this, and we'll look at it a little bit later, okay? We'll get to it exactly right now, but here's the fact of the matter. Those, those people who are here at that time, who are believers, are going to have tremendous pressure exerted on them to take a mark either in the forehead or on the backside of their right hand. 
That technology we talked about last week is already in place too. You want to feed your family a five or six? Then you're going to have to take a mark. So you can buy what your family needs. But with the little bit of money that you're going to have, you're going to have just enough probably for you to eat a half a meal a day so your children can have maybe one full meal a day. That's what's going to be going on in the tribulation. That's why you don't want to be here when the, tribu- when the tribulation happens. That's why you don't want your family to be here. That's why you don't want your friends to be here. That's why we need to be about sharing the gospel. Because the gospel and salvation through the gospel, through the work of Jesus Christ, is the only exit out of that thing. Okay? Don't hurt the oil and the wine. The rich going to sit in their palaces. Look, look now. Think about Venezuela with me just for a moment. Venezuela 10 years ago was the, one of the third largest economic systems in all the world. They bought into this belief that I don't have to work hard. I don't have to do anything. Everything's for free. They're eating out of garbage cans right now. Do you think their military and their government are eating out of garbage cans? No. They're living behind their, their walled houses and they are living luxuriously off the backs of the common people folks that's that's that is a picture a pre-picture of what the tribulation is going to be but the tribulation will be much worse and because of that then you have the fourth horse in verses seven and eight which is a pale horse or an ashen colored horse it's symbolical of death There will be death by war. There will be death by hunger. There will be death by disease. Now, I think this is kind of interesting here when you look at this. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. So I looked, and there was a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed him. Now, look at this. Power over a fourth of the earth was given to them. To kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. 25% of the earth dwellers, and we call them the earth dwellers right now because there's a, there's a different category we'll look at next. 25% will be killed either by the sword, they will die of hunger, With death, that may be natural causes, I don't know, but but I think this is kind of interesting. By the beast of the earth, and really a a more literal translation of that is the little beasts. Little beasts. You want me to tell you? I think it will be an infestation of rats. And the diseases that they carry. Did you know that most of the diseases, the epidemic diseases that we had in past years. Quit quit punching your husband over there. (laughs) Could be, could be, I don't know. All right, so, so let me ask you a question. Los Angeles. The filth, the homelessness, the feces, the needles laying on the streets. Are wild dogs showing up? Are coyotes showing up? Are other animals showing up? What's showing up? What are they they infested with? Rats. Some of the diseases that we thought that we had cured some years ago are, are coming back with a vengeance. We have to be worried about measles again. We have to be worried about, about these childhood diseases we were so afraid of. And all of a sudden, if y'all were like me, you went to school one day and they give you a little cube of sugar with, with some medicine on it and you took it and that helped prevent polio. Look, we haven't destroyed those. They are just laying dormant. We figured out a way to kind of keep them in check. But there's going to come a day when it is so rampant 
that it's going to come flooding back. Could, could there be plagues from, from animals? Could there be animal bites? Could there be rabies? By, by sword, by hunger, by death, and by the beasts of the earth. These are just the people. The fifth seal talks about another group that will die during this time. I saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slain for the word of God. The martyrs. People will be martyred for their faith during the tribulation period. Now, that does happen today, by the way. But it will be on a major scale during the tribulation period. A person who is saved during the tribulation. And look, I'm not going to debate with you whether or not people will go through the tribulation who have an opportunity to hear the gospel now. And if they reject it, will they be able to be saved later? Some believe yes, some believe no. I'm not going to get into that because I don't know. But the fact of the matter is there will be people that will be saved because in chapter 7, there are 144,000 witnesses that go out. And there will be converts during that time. Jews specifically. But they will be killed for their faith. Same thing that happened, you remember back when the Christians were brought before the Caesars and just Caesar is Lord and put a pinch of incense and they wouldn't do it. And they threw them to lions and they sewed them up in uh, animal skins and threw them out and they gouged the man's eyes out right after he saw his own children torn apart by animals. Believers will be Killed because of their testimony. It says they have been slain for the word of God and for the testimony that they had held. Now we sing a song around here sometimes, Overcome. I played it today and it's, it's, it's biblical. <clears throat> but when we sing that phrase, they overcame them by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, it makes direct reference to the tribulation saints. Okay? Now, look what happens. They are under the altar, and they are crying out with a loud voice, How, how long, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the, on the earth dwellers? In Leviticus, in the Old Testament, the animals were slain, and the, board, the, the blood was poured out under the altar. Okay, so, that, so there's an Old Testament allusion here of sacrifice. They, they would give their lives for the cause of Christ. Not one drop of blood that they shed will go unnoticed. It's placed symbolically under this altar. They are crying out for God to bring judgment. How long will you avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? Then a white robe is given to each of them. We know that that's righteousness. The, the robe of righteousness is given to them. They are clothed in white robes. But they're told to wait. Why? Well, it gives us the answer in the second part of verse 11. Until the number of their fellow servants and brothers should be completed, who would be killed as they were. Just wait. Not all of them have been killed yet. In Revelation chapter 16, you'll see those prayers answered. So, that's the fifth seal. The sixth seal um, people have been killed. Now, the environment is affected. Okay, she so said, well, all these people are being killed. Well, you know what? Now, now we're going to touch. All these tree huggers, they, they hate this passage of Scripture. <clears throat> uh, all of these, I was reading today and I thought today, you know, we, 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 we worship anything and everything we can put our hands on. All of a sudden, animals and, and owls and snail darters and those kind of things have become more important than human life. Because men believe that all flesh are the same. In fact, the matter is, the Bible says not all flesh is the same. Read 1 Corinthians. But you remember, Jesus talked about the birds and how he took care of them. 
and how they didn't toil and they didn't, the things that they didn't do and yet God took care of them. But then, then he makes this statement, are you not much more important than they? I believe with all of my heart Christians ought to protect the environment. I believe we ought to be good stewards of everything God has given us. But the fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, a tree is not as important as a human soul. People have been killed now, the environment. Nature is in view. There are six convulsions that take place. You can read them. First of all, there's a great earthquake. Secondly, the sun is blocked out, blacked out. Sun quits shining. Think about that for a minute. Moon becomes like blood. That's where, you know, lately the, the prophecies of the, the blood moons have, have become very important. They get it from this right here. Falling stars. And I, I like the way that it says, it talks about the shaking of a tree and how things just fall. I mean, the whole, not only is man going to be healed, the universe Nature is going to be shaken to its core. The sky tears apart like a scroll. Mountains and islands are moved out of their places. Vance Havner said, I love this quote. Vance Havner said, Imagine that there's going to come a day when the most expensive piece of property on earth is a hole in the ground. So there's going to be ecological disasters. Think about, think about a major, a great earthquake, a major earthquake. Think about the tsunamis that the earthquake, earthquakes have caused. By the way, can I just say this? Because somebody said this on TV. Now they were talking about the climate change and the rising of the tides. The Bible said Jesus set the limits to the tides. This far and no farther. But God's not in our thoughts. We don't think about God when stuff like him. Oh, oh, oh. No, you know what? God's got, it un- God's, God's got it under control. Look at verse 15 and 16. This is, this, is the, this is the worst part of the whole chapter. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the commanding officers and the strong... And everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. They said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, look at this, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. The earth dwellers recognize that it is God that's doing this. I think this is the most amazing thing. They know God's doing this. And yet... They go and cry for the rocks to fall on them. Look at what he says. Fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. Who's able to withstand it? Well, the fact of the matter is, nobody. There will be a recognition that this is the wrath of God, but they will not repent. You know what? You're going to find in the book of Revelation, it just made them rebel more. So, Tony, when I read that, I thought, you know what? If nobody comes forward for salvation, (laughs) I get it. The heart that is so hard against God, I'm telling you what, it takes a miracle from God to move it. But you know what? Even as a little boy, my heart was that hard. Maybe not in the sense of these people. But I was lost and without God. And God quickened me, who was dead and trespassed in sin, and made me alive and seated me with Christ. I'll tell you what, if I don't make the hair on your arm stand up, something's wrong with you. All of this stuff. And yet they would not repent. Chapter 7 is 144,000. We'll talk about that later. Chapter 8 is the opening of the seventh seal, which just ushers in the next judgments. We'll look at those a little bit later. Verse 8, uh, chapter 
8 verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Because I'm going to tell you something. They know. I've, I've often wondered, what does that mean? What, does that, what in the world does that mean? When you read chapter 6, and you know what's coming in chapter 8, no wonder there's silence. I suspect that everybody in heaven thought, man, it can't get any worse than that. But I suspect that the Lamb says to him, no, 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 no. It's going to be worse than that. Then after a period of time, it's going to get worse than that. And just the very fact that God is pouring out. Think about, think, think about this for a minute, y'all. Every sin we commit... Every sin we commit and God's going to judge that one day. Look at the judgment. You, you think you don't you, you think God doesn't think sin is serious? Seventh seal sets up the seven trumpets, which will be worse than the seven seal judgments. So the conclusion of the seven seals is this. Oh, it's bad, but it's going to get worse. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for this time you've given us to open your word. Thank you for the knowledge that you've given men that we can go to, we can read, we can study, but then we can get open your word. And, and we can start putting these puzzle pieces together and the picture becomes clear. Number one, that you're serious about sin. Number two, just how patient and long-suffering you are to allow the things that we see today go on. And yet, Lord, we know that one day that you're going to make things right. So until then, Lord, we, we submit to you, we yield to you, we, we give ourselves to you to use as instruments, as vessels, to go out into the highways and the hedges and just compel people to come in. Get in the house before it's too late. Get in the kingdom before you reach the point of no return.